Good evening, church family. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Malachi. And if this is your first time joining us this evening, thank you for being here. We are presently going through the book of Malachi. And if you don't know where the book of Malachi is, you can go to the New Testament and locate Matthew and then go left uh, a couple of pages. And there you will find that book. And we will be in chapter three this evening, looking at verses six through 12. And before we go any further, I just want to say a word of thank you both to Charles and Matt uh, for preaching in my absence and being faithful to deliver God's word. Church, we are so blessed by men who can rightly divide God's word. And so we're so thankful for that gift that God has given to us. And we're especially thankful, again, as Garrett prayed, that before us this evening, we have God's living word. And it's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it knows us even better than we know ourselves. And this evening, we're going to be looking at... uh, Again, this idea of the antidote for spiritual apathy. That is the title of this series. And as we begin this evening, I want to read to you uh, from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 7. And I'm reading from that NIV for this verse, but then for the remainder of the sermon, I'll be looking at the ESV. And the reason that I chose the NIV translation is because of the, the selection of the word wholeheartedly. Ephesians 6 chapter Ephesians chapter 6 verse 7 says this serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people. I'll read that again. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people. And as we begin, I want us to focus in on that word wholeheartedly. The word wholeheartedly, it means a kindness or a goodwill towards. It's a conjugal duty. And what this definition implies is that there is an awareness, a sensitivity, an intimate connection to why and how one serves God. Meaning there's great substance behind the Christian's life and why we do what we do. What motivates us to get out of the bed this morning? What motivates us to open our mouths what motivates us in the way that we live our lives, it's defined and it's seen by our connection to Christ. And as we've been studying through the book of Malachi, this is not where we find God's people. They are not closely connected, abiding, if you will, in their relationship with God. In fact, they're doing quite the opposite. Whether they have realized it or not, more emphasis on the not, they have found themselves drifting into a spiritual complacency, a lethargy, an apathy. They now resemble, instead of God, the surrounding nations. This describes the people of God in Malachi. And what we've seen throughout the study of the book of Malachi is this, and what we have learned about our own lives is this, is that we cannot hide our spiritual condition before God. He knows what's going on beneath the surface in each and every one of our lives. He sees our motives. He knows our hearts. So the question for us to consider tonight is this. As God's people... Do we see what God sees? Are we so dialed in, so connected, so abiding in our relationship with Christ that we could be aware of even blind spots that we have in our lives? And this is in part where we find the people of God in Malachi's day. They have grown blind. They have grown cold in their relationship with God. It has become stale, if you will. Something more a ritual or a habit. And in order for God to help people see the error of their ways, their blind spots, he raises up people. 
It's what he does today. God still uses people who are empowered by his spirit, who are anchored in his word to show blind spots in our own lives because we all have them. God, God has put people in my life. My children reveal blind spots in my life. My wife reveals blind spots in my life. People in this church have revealed blind spots in my life. The men who I've walked with in the elder ministry have revealed blind spots in my life. What I'm trying to say is that we all have them. But praise God that even when we have them, God is in the business of not leaving his children in the dark. That God's desire for you and I and in the people in Malachi's day was to walk in the truth, to to walk in the light as he is in the light, to help them see the way that he sees. And so they could return to walk the way that God would have them to walk because he had a purpose for God's people then to be a light to the nations. And that same purpose exists for you and I and for the church today, to be a light unto this world, unto this community, unto this country. And so far, what we've seen in our study of Malachi is that God has been faithful to point out Blind spots, spiritual apathy, lethargy, complacency in their lives. And he has done so through the prophet Malachi, who has delivered a corrective and instructive word, calling them back to their relationship with God. And so far, we have seen that he has shown his people how they had drifted into doubting his love, reminding them that he had chosen them not because they were special and that God needed them, but because God is merciful and gracious and has dispensed grace and he's done the same for you and I. We are in a relationship with God by his grace and by his mercy. That's why the Christian, we have so much to be thankful for. Not just because it's the month of November and we've just come out of Thanksgiving because of the grace and mercy that we have received from Almighty God. It's not something that we deserve, nor has it something that we have earned. It is something that God has given to us at a high cost. And God's people, somewhere along the way, they had forgotten his love. They had doubted his love mainly because things in their life weren't going the way they thought they should. They'd become routine, mechanical in their worship and were offering really deficient gifts to God, lame sacrifices instead of their best. They'd forgot God's heart for justice. And this evening, we will see how God's people neglected him through their tithes and offerings. And the big idea that I want us all to keep in mind this evening is this, is that I believe that this passage is calling us, not just the people in Malachi's day, but us as well, to return to the king with everything. But in this case, to return to the king by giving to him obediently. And again, the giving that we are giving to him is not to earn something not, not to make things better for us so, because we recognize who God is and how much we need him. And so before we dive into this text, I want us to read Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. For the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in the house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And 
I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down to you a blessing until there is no more need. And I will rebuke the devourer for you so that you will not destroy the fruits of your soil, your vine, and the field should not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Again, here's the scene. God's people had drifted into spiritual complacency. They had grown cold in their heart towards God stale in their relationship. But God being a God of grace and love and mercy and justice was pursuing his people once again. And this is a consistent pattern you see all through scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. God is a God who pursues in order to reunite us, to reconcile us, to put us in a right relationship with God. It started all the way in the beginning when we blew it. And the reason I say we blew it is because if we would have been there instead of Adam and Eve, we would have done the same thing. And yet in that moment when Adam and Eve transgressed and sinned against the living God, God still called to them and said, where are you? And he's been doing that ever since. And he's doing that this evening in this text. He's trying to help the people of God see where they're at, to see how far they had fallen to see where they had drifted to and to return. And that's the good news. God is a God that wants people to return. Why? Because God wants to restore. God wants to repair what we have broken. He does not expect us to put our lives back together. He's the one that does that. And for us to be repaired, for us to be restored, we must firstly rightly see who God is. And this is where we start here this evening. I want us to see first God's character compared to Israel's character. If we're going to return to the Lord, yes, it requires action steps on our part, but first it requires our hearts and minds attention that we understand rightly who God is. And God has been painting this portrait of who he is, a faithful God, a loving God, and here In verse 6, he says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Friends, this is such good news for us to hear this evening. God does not change. Everything that God has done and will do is perfect. He doesn't need to go and redo something. You and I, all the time. God never misspeaks. God never makes a mistake. He is always right. He does not change. Hebrews puts it this way in chapter 13, verse 8, speaking that of Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, God's son. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Friend, you and I, we can count on God not to change. In this text, we see several things that I want you to be encouraged about. Because this comes right on the helm of God saying that judgment was coming. He was going to bring justice. And it was going to rain down. And one thing that I want us to see in this text uh, about God's character is that God, he is serious about his promises. What God says he will do, he will do. And that's good. But there's also some bad in that. Why? Right? Because if we don't turn to and trust in Christ as our Lord and our Savior, God will not overlook your sin. He will judge it justly and fairly. And if you've not put your faith and trust in Christ, according to God's word and to his promises, you will be separated from him forever. But for those who do, we have the hope, we have the confidence 
We have the blood of Christ that covers us and makes us whole, makes us white as snow, makes us right before God. And we trust in that and in that alone. And here, God, he is serious about his judgment of sin. He lets them know that if they do not return or turn, that he will bring judgment. Judgment is coming. And this is not just an Old Testament verse, right? We know that the judge is still coming. Christ is coming again. And you and I, this is our opportunity to relay that information to as much people who will listen. Right? But in order for us to truly get it and grasp it and then go and share it, we must first revisit daily who God is. And what we see here in this text, we see a God who does not change. God does not walk back his promises. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. And he says, hey, judgment is coming. Now, there are times as a father that I can be soft in the discipline department, right? I, I will see, especially with my four-year-old, he's a baby, and it's easy if you have a, whoever your baby is, like to, you know, show some favoritism. And my kids would probably say amen to that, my older two, right? Especially when he smiles at you or when he tells me, I love you. But friends, when I withhold discipline from my four-year-old, as cute as he is, that's not good for his heart. It's not good for him. And when God brings discipline into our lives, he does so because he loves us, because he desires us not to stay the way that we are. We can't have a divided heart when we follow the Lord. We will serve one or the other. In fact, tonight we see one of those things that we are likely to serve above God, and that being money. Money is a powerful force in our life. Money is morally Neutral, but we can sure raise it up to a place that it not, need not be and make it the end-all be-all. And we see this to some degree in this text, and we'll get to that in a moment. That God is serious about how he will judge sin, and he will. He will not forget. He will not overlook. The only way that we escape the judgment of God against sin is by trusting in Christ and his work on the cross. And friends, here's the good thing. God is serious about how he loves his people. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, it says, when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Like even when we blow it, even when we drop the ball, even when we do wrong, God's not going to be like, okay, that's it. I'm done with you. You're not my child anymore. Go find somebody else. That's not how God operates. Because God loves you, he will pursue you all the more. Through discipline, through other people, through circumstances. Right? You want to see an example of God's relentless love? Look at the book of Jonah. I don't know if there's a more obstinate, hard-headed individual in all the scripture I mean, you could probably put my name in there and some other people's names in there. But Jonah was pretty obstinate, pretty hard-headed, pretty set in his ways. And yet what we see God continually do is provide, pursue. This is what he does with us. This is what he's doing in Malachi. God's people had forgotten all that he'd done. They are back in the kingdom, though it is not what it used to be. They are still back in the kingdom. The, the land that God had given to him, but they had forgotten. But he continues to pursue them. Even though they had broken their covenant with him in the way that they were living, God had not broken his covenant with them. Friend, this is such wonderful news for you and I. That our relationship with God, our eternal security is not contingent upon what we do. I mean, that ought to make you sleep really good tonight, right? 
You don't need melatonin. You don't need Ambien, right? For those who like to use that, no judgment. But like that ought to make you sleep like a baby. That our relationship is not contingent upon our works. Now we have a response, a responsibility to respond to God, but we respond to God first because he has pursued us. This is who God is. God is not fickle as Israel is or as you and I are. He's faithful. So everything that we're seeing in Malachi, even though there's correction going on, this is the faithfulness of God. This is the relentless character pursuit of God's love towards his people. This is how we should see it. This is how we should view any discipline in our lives, children. Parents, when we're doing it, right? Because it's easy for our discipline to teeter off into trying to control. But the discipline that we are to have towards our children or towards anyone is for love's sake. This is God's character. He's faithful. He is loving. He is serious about what he says, and he will follow through. Let's look at Israel really quick. Now, as a child growing up, I knew that I was in trouble, or at least my presence was required immediately whenever my parents departed from their normal pattern of addressing me. Normally, as a child growing up, they would call me Eric, right? And every child knows this, every adult knows this, but I knew it was serious I knew it meant something all else together when they called me by my full name. When they said, Eric, John, Ebji. They didn't have to say, come here. They didn't have to say anything else. What I knew or learned at an early age is when my mom or dad called me by my full name, Eric, John, Ebji, I was to drop what I was doing and to go to them immediately. Here in this text, we we see somewhat of a departure from how God normally referred to his people. Normally, he referred to his people as the children of Israel, or or Israel, or the children of God. But this is not what he does here in verse 6. He departs from the way that he normally addresses them. Instead, he calls them by their former name. He calls them children of Jacob. Why is he calling them the children of Jacob? Now, if you remember from the story of Jacob, we know that Jacob once, uh, after he wrestled with God, God changed his name and his name Israel. Before that, he was Jacob. And we know that Jacob's name, it means deceiver. Or or heel grabber, trickster, liar. And so what God is doing here for them by referring to them as the children of Jacob, he's saying, hey, you're not acting like my people that I've set apart you to be. You're acting the the way uh, of your former life. Not the way, not the people that I've called you to be. And, And so he does this, Malachi, to get their attention to help them to see or to begin to see where they were at in their relationship with God. You could, if you will, picture with you, visualize in your mind a map. And what the Malachi is doing in essence, he's saying, God is here and you, children of Jacob, are way over here. You're not where you need to be. You've drifted. You've grown cold, apathetic, complacent in your relationship with him. Instead of being a light to the nations, you've become like the nations. This is God's character. This is Israel. There's a great discrepancy. And friends, in order for us to make that return to the king, this is where it must start. We must see God for who he truly is. We must be so in all of that that it grabs our attention. It begins to govern what we do next. So this is where God starts. He again reminds them of who he is. 
And he says, this is who, you, who I am, and this is who you are. And then we get into more or less of what we see, that we've seen throughout this book, that is in verses seven and eight, that God makes a declaration about what he sees. And Israel, they have a dispute about it, a counter to what God says. So here in verses seven and eight, God makes two declarations concerning his people's spiritual condition, which we see Israel once again question. And again, the fact that they question God, this shows you and I the level of deception that rests upon their lives, right? They don't have a problem, if you will, this parent, picture Malachi like a parent-child relationship. They don't have a problem talking back to God. Like, are you kidding me, God? And we'll see here in a moment in ways that they do. So here's declaration and dispute number one. In verse seven, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and you have not kept them. So God is sharing with them that he sees a pattern in their life that resembles that of their forefathers. The people of Israel, they are known to forget God, right? Read through the book of Judges, like every other chapter, a generation would raise up that would not know God, right? And it still happens past that. This is what happens. God's people forget. God's people become fickle. We do the same thing in our lives. And so what he's, tell, what he's telling them, he says, return to me. God is trying to help them to see that they have strayed, that they have lost their way. And he does so by pointing out the pattern of the life that he sees in their life, calling them to return. And that word return that we see here in Malachi, it can be translated also to mean repent. And that word repent, it means to do an about face, if you're familiar with the military, to do a 180. But here's the thing about repentance, that repentance, it's more than just some surface level response marked by a change of direction. Yes, repentance is something that we will see, and it certainly involves something that we say, and it will be seen in the direction of our lives, but it, it goes far further than us just saying on the surface, yes, I agree with this, and to begin to, to do things differently. That's a part of repentance, but it goes much deeper than that. Repentance is, has both surface evidence, but also deep substance evidence in our lives. That substance being a relationship. And and that's really what repentance gets to the core of. Repentance can't be really seen just by what we do on the outside. It also involves the inside. The relationship that we have with God. Our repentance as a Christian is connected to someone. That someone being Christ that's someone being God. And when we, we see him and we see the error of our ways, the sin in our lives, and we see how that cuts us off, how it hinders that relationship with him, and we seek to make that right, and we make that right by agreeing with God, confessing that we have strayed, that we have been complacent, that we have drifted in our relationship with him in some manner, in some way. Repentance is about the restoration of a relationship. It's a reconfirmation of our commitment with God. And it's something that you and I will do until we breathe our last breath. There never comes a time and a place in our life where we reach the apex of maturity, where we arrive. God is always working in our hearts, always revealing things that need to be fixed. It'll happen for the rest of our lives. 
We're not a finished product yet, and we won't be until we're face-to-face before the Lord. But unfortunately, as is customary with Israel, they do not see what God sees. In fact, they think they're fine. They don't realize that they need to return. And they say that, and they're like, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Essentially, what Israel is saying, return, we're not even lost. We know where we are. Again, friends, this could be what you could call blind spots, unaware of where they're at with the Lord. And this evening, it is both probable and possible that you and I can be in a similar position as Israel was in Malachi's day. Like Israel, we can write off or dismiss what God is revealing about our spiritual condition as we read through his word, as we commune with other believers and we allow them to speak into our lives and share with us what they see. We can do the same thing that Israel's doing. And I'm not here to assume or presume. I just know the human art because I have one. And I know my tendency to have blind spots that there is a very likelihood that there's a blind spot in, the, in your life that God, he wants to show to you. That he's trying to show to you through his word, perhaps even through this message that maybe God has sent people into your life to speak to you about something specific and that you need to listen to it. And this is what God does. I'm so glad that God just doesn't speak in generic terms to Israel. I mean, he tells them, hey, you guys have drifted. You guys are off the reservation. But he doesn't leave them in the dark. Like, he spells it out for them. He's very direct. I know sometimes we we, we live in a day and age where directness is frowned upon. We don't like directness. We want to be coddled. I want to be coddled. Right? I want to be made to feel good. But friends, there's nothing, nothing should ever feel good about sin in our life. Any way, shape, or form. It is a cancer that needs to be removed aggressively and immediately from our lives. And God does it in a variety of ways. Here in Malachi's day, he raised up a prophet. Now, as God's people, we have his word, we have his spirit, we have his people to do the same thing. And here, he spells out for them in his second declaration, he gets very personal with them, very direct. He says, will a man rob God? And yet you are robbing me. He's really, he's calling the nation of Israel a thief, a robber. And Israel, what do they, how do they respond to that? Classic Israel. How have we robbed you? And then God gets more specific. He says, in your tithes and in your contributions. God, he, he, then he goes on in verse 9 to share the seriousness of this offense. He, he tells them, this is how you've offended me. This is how you've sinned against me. You've withheld your tithes and your contributions from me. And because of that, there is a curse, verse 9, on your life. You are robbing me and the whole nation. This is not just affecting you. This is affecting everyone. And then we come to verse 10. And I will say about this, about verse 10, both Christians and pastors, we butcher this verse. We, we, we sometimes use this verse for our advantage, for our glory, that if we do this, God will do this in this specific way. Verse 10 should not be seen uh, for us this evening as a formula to prosperity, though it is always prosperous to follow God. 
Verse 10 is not a formula for us to get more money in the bank, more possessions in our home, to have a trouble-free life. If we just do things this way, it's going to work out that way for us. Friends, because our treasure, our riches, though God will certainly give us things in this life, they're not found here. They're found where we're going to our ultimate home in heaven. And what God, in verses 8 and 10, God, he's, he is talking about money. Make no mistake about that. This section, in part, is about money. And I'm a, I'm a believer that where our wallet, our wallet is a window into our heart. It tells us and shows us what we love how we spend our money, how we protect our money, how we invest our money. What I'm saying is how we steward our money is a barometer of our spiritual health. And in verses 8 through 10, we, 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 we see this word tithe, and it means 10%. But I don't want us to so fixate on percentages, right? I think that's kind of what we do, right, is we fixate on the percentages. We're like, okay, what percentage... Of what I have, should I give to God? Well, let me help you here first, that everything that we have to begin with belongs to him. God, he is not after your money. It's already his. What he's wanting us to do is to be faithful with what he's given to us. And here in Malachi's day, though he talks about the tithe, I want you to know that Israel in that day, they gave more than 10%. If you start to look at all the ways that they were to give, yes, they gave 10%, they gave a tithe, but they were also required under the law. They were expected to contribute money to the festivals and to the feast and to the carrying of the priests with these offerings. And so when you start to add up all that they were supposed to give, it comes out roughly close to 25%. So it's way more than 10%. But a lot of times, I'm just saying what we like to do is like, 10%, if I give 10%, I'm good. And that might be a good starting place. I've heard it, I read in a book from Andy, Randy Alcorn that the 10% is like the training wheels. It's preparing us for giving. But friends, what we should know about God, God, he wants us to be generous. In fact, this is what Jesus asked of us. He asked us to be generous. And so God's people, we should be marked by generosity. And as God sees his people in Malachi's day, this is not what he sees. He does not see generosity. He sees a stinginess. He sees a people withholding. He sees a people bringing less than what's required, bringing leftovers, if you will. And leftovers aren't bad if you're talking about Thanksgiving. Man, I've been doing that for like four days. And I still got some left. Now, I'm going to eat it. It might make me sick, man, but turkey is just awesome. But leftovers, when it comes to God, is a problem. God does not want leftovers. He is not deserving of our leftovers. He is deserving of our best. This is closely connected to what we saw in the second week when God's people were bringing defective offerings defective bulls and lambs and just trying to pass it off. Oh, I just got to bring something. No, you bring your best. God is deserving of our best. God has given us his best, his son. God withheld nothing from us. That is one of the greatest lies that got humanity in the place that it is to begin with, that God is withholding something from us, right? Right? That's the lie that Adam and Eve bought hook, line, and sinker, and it's the lie that we buy into today, that God is withholding something from you. God may be withholding something from you, but it's for your good. But we need to remember the verses that I read at the beginning of the service. Every good and perfect gift that we have, it comes from God. He gives good gifts. And why do we know that? Because he's a good God. That's his character. And the reason we invest and and hold on to our money so tightly is because sometimes we don't trust God. 
And this is what was happening in this day. People weren't trusting God, the one who put them in this land, the one who helped rebuild the wall, bring them back, give them a temple again. God had done all of this, and yet they had forgotten. Make no mistake, God does not need our money. God wants you. He wants your heart. Because if he, when he has your heart, we use and receive money rightly. Nothing wrong with money. But only the heart that prioritizes and magnifies it and puts it in a place it ought not be. And this is what God's people had done then. And this is still a problem that plagues our hearts today. God's telling them, I will not bless this. I cannot do this. But then God, I love what he does here. He, he tells them, he gets, tells them the curse. He tells them specifically how they've wronged. He says, but then he tells them how to make it right. He says, return to me. In verse 10, it says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and there may be put me to the test, says the Lord. God saying, test my character. Test who I say that I am. If you do this, I will reward you. I will bless you. The same is true today. God rewards his children when we're obedient to him, when we are faithful to him. Why? Because that's who he is. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. He's a caring God. This is what he tells them. Again, they're they're not doing this to earn. This is a worship problem that's happening. He's helping to restore a worship to their hearts correctly. God's saying, hey, don't, let us not fixate on percentages. Let us focus on God's promises. God says, if you return the tithe to the storehouse, he says, I'm going to take care of you. There's, there's going to be food. I'm, I'm going to rebuke the devourer. I'm going to protect you. A lot of times the reason we withhold back is we're trying to do God's job for him. We try to insert ourselves into God's position, that he alone. And friends, when we try to do God's job for him, it's not going to work out and it's going to weary us. It's going to wear us out. Right? You know what worry is a symptom of? Worry is a symptom of us trying to be and do God's job. Worry shows us that we're trying to be the one who's in control when we're not. The same it is with money. Money is something that we worry about. How are we going to pay this? How are we going to do this? Where's this going to come from? How's God going to provide? I know what I need to do. I just need to hold a little bit back. Friends, that's not the way. The way is to trust God, who's given you everything that you have to begin with, and to be content in him. And this is what he does. He says, hey, if you return stuff to the storehouse, I'm going to protect Verse 10, I'm going to, verse 11, I'm going to provide verse 10. And then to bring this full circle, we see this. Verse 12. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Here we see Israel's reputation and God's recognition. And this goes all the way back to Genesis. I love how Scripture's best friend is Scripture how everything's connected, that these books aren't just isolated. They all are a piece of one story and how we can read what we see here and we can trace this all the way back to Genesis, all the way to Genesis 12, when God makes this problem or this promise with, the, with Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Who, who is he going to be a blessing to? Other nations. Other nations are going to see and other nations are going to seek and to follow after God. As Abraham and generations that follow are faithful to him. And what God is saying here is if his people are willing to esteem God as the highest priority in their life, God promises to make them a great nation. 
That if Israel exalts the name of the Lord instead of themselves, their neighbors are going to see it and they're going to want it. They're going to see their land as a land of delight. Wonder what gives? Why is this so bountiful? Why is this so prosperous? Why are these people this way? It's because of God, because of his character, because who he says he is. This is what Malachi is saying. Friends, when we do things God's way, people, I believe, will find the gospel attractive. And they'll want it. Are we living a life in such a way that makes people want to know, makes people curious, makes people want to figure out and wonder what's going on with that person? What's going on with that church? This is why we exist. This is why we're put here on this planet to reflect the glory of God, to be the light and not like the world. Quickly as we wrap up, what do we take away from this this evening? One is this, God rewards the faithful. (laughs) If we obey God, we can expect to be rewarded. I tell my children this all the time. I'm speaking in terms of our relationship. Hey, things go well for you in our home when you listen to and obey mom and dad. They just do, right? And the same is true in our lives. We are God's children and things go well for us when we do and obey and follow him faithfully in what he says. He rewards. God is a God who rewards, and we shouldn't apologize for that, right? Yes, there is a message out there, a perversion of the gospel called the prosperity gospel, but God is still prosperous to his children. But it goes far beyond material possessions and money and just having a trouble-free life. Those things, that's a fairy tale. We can have those things, but even if you get those things, I'm telling you, you won't be as happy. It's not everything is cracked up to be. Solomon had a lot to say about that in Ecclesiastes. God rewards the faithful who blesses us. And again, our blessings aren't necessarily material. They're spiritual. Yes, will God give us material blessings? Yes. When he gives us material blessings, they're not just for us. We're to be a steward of them. But what he's given us is far greater than anything that we can ever receive materially speaking. That being right with God by putting our faith and trust in Christ. Two, this is, I'm speaking this to myself, but also to all of us here and those who could be listening online, check your investments. What are you doing with what God has given to you? I think it's a great question for us to ask. Evaluate your time your talents, your treasures, all three of those things. Who are we exalting? Yourself or the king? Lastly, three, God remains faithful even when we fail. God will always be faithful to his promises even when we, his people, stumble, fall, or not faithful. Israel would fail again and again. And again, you and I will fail. We will fall again and again. James 2 tells us that we stumble in many ways. But in Christ, we have the hope and we have the picture. We see the one who never failed, who never stumbled. And in moments of fleshly weakness, because he experienced everything that we did in the flesh, he did not give in. And he generously gave of himself, even in death, and was obedient to his father. And he made himself a willing sacrifice. He became a a generous blessing that's been given by God to us when we put our faith and trust in him. 
This is why we should be the most generous people on the planet. People who truly know who God is, know what he's done. Generosity is marked by their lives. It's the people who get the gospel, who have God. So friends, I I pray that we would be that kind of individual, that we would continue to be this kind of church. I've certainly seen that. I've seen a generous people, a faithful people, a good people here. And God has done that, and may that we rejoice. If you're here this evening and you don't know this generous, good God, this evening could be that opportunity. And it's not by praying a prayer or by getting your act together. It's by trusting in God's plan. Trusting in God's son, Jesus, who faithfully did what we could not do. Who's there, who loves us, who's kind. God is calling us to him. If you're without Christ, you're not here by accident. You're here because God desires a relationship with you. And you follow him, not because I'm telling you. You follow him because the spirit is calling you. He's just using me to perhaps make those lights a little bit brighter so you can see, so you can know and follow God. And if that's you here tonight and you want to know what it means to follow Christ, let's talk afterwards or talk with the person that you came with or who you're sitting around. It's the most important decision we can ever make. And if you're here tonight and God has shown you a place of stewardship where you have not been as faithful as you should, let me tell you, just confess it before the the Lord and return to him. There's no need to beat yourself up, to wallow in your sin. A Christian who wallows in their sin, we don't understand God's grace. We don't understand his character. We don't understand his faithfulness. He doesn't want us to wallow. He wants us to worship him. And how we worship him is by coming to him, repenting and trusting in him. So do that here this evening, church, as he leads you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this people. What a blessing to hear from you and your living word. Move in this place. Help us to see. Help us to show us, God, where we have erred, where we have fallen, where we are blind. God, thank you that you are good and kind to call us back home to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Church, you you know what we do. This is an opportunity for us to respond. The response is not limited to here, but this is an opportunity to respond. Again, we have people who are dedicated, who are willing and ready to pray for you in our prayer room to my left and your right. And you can slip out and make your way there. You can stay where you're seated. Uh, If you're here tonight without Christ, I urge you to seek someone out. Uh, I just encourage you to respond as God's spirit speaks to you.